a lot of parents don't have the capacity to hold the space for their children. They don't actually have the bandwidth internally to allow their children to fall apart without taking it personally, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, that they do, I mean, it's the classic, they really do need to put the oxygen mask on themselves first <laughs> because they, they have to. There has to be that self-compassion, that self-love, that self-care without guilt, without feeling like they're dropping the ball, recognizing how important it is for them to take care of themselves so that they model self-care is valuable to their children and that they recognize that if they aren't creating the bandwidth and the self-care within themselves, that they're not going to show up in the way that they want to. Hey friends, welcome to the More Than a Mother podcast. I am your host, LaJuan Moses, and I am a mom on a mission to help you master your mindset and own your time so you can make space in your busy life for your dreams and goals. Join me each week for tangible tips, tools, and strategies that you can use to show up as your personal best in motherhood, business, and life, as well as inspiring interviews from moms just like you who are sharing their stories of triumph in order to uplift encourage and empower you on your journey at more than a mother we believe you can pursue your dreams and be a great mom at the same time we are helping you truly step into your own and find the freedom to do more of the things you love and enjoy without feeling guilty or overwhelmed Catherine celery ceo and founder of conscious parenting revolution helps individuals minimize misunderstandings and meltdowns in order to communicate with more collaboration, cooperation, and consideration. The creator of the Guidance Approach to Parenting, a program that applies conflict resolution skills to communicating more effectively with children, Catherine has positively influenced relationships for generations and brought about healing and reconciliation in families that were suffering from disconnection. For her expertise, she has been featured on Atlanta & Co., Fox 31 Denver, 4 CBS Denver, CBS 8 San Diego, and has been a guest on over 20 podcasts. When asked what it means to be more than a mother, Catherine said, to me, being more than a mother has to do with what I, I identify as. So being more than a mom is that my identity is bigger than just this one aspect of my expression or more than this one role that I play in my life. Let's dive into my interview with Catherine. Hey, Catherine, how are you? I am fabulous. It's so great to be here. Welcome to the More Than a Mother podcast. I am glad you're fabulous, and I am so excited to have you here with me today, and I can't wait to jump into all you're doing with Conscious Parenting Revolution. I am really excited about this interview. Thank you so much. I am too. I'm so delighted to meet you and to be here and to share some you know, time together. Thanks. So before we get started, I would just love if you could please just introduce yourself to us and just let us know who you are and what you do. Fantastic. Thank you. So Catherine Celery, and I founded the Conscious Parenting Revolution. I have been helping parents transform the dynamics in their families and support them with transformation around, you know, children and spouses and their own experience of growing up so that they create the healthiest ecosystems within a family to be able to create kids that are super resilient and centered within themselves, 
who feel good about themselves, even if the world outside doesn't feel good about them about something. So not that they're, you know, impervious to other people, of course not, but that they're more selective about who has the ability to change their own sense of how they feel about themselves. So Conscious Parenting Revolution has been kind of my my thing for about 25 years. That's fabulous. And I just, I love what I'm hearing so far. However, before we jump into all of that with Conscious Parenting Revolution, if you could just kind of give us a little bit of your backstory and just kind of those transformational moments that put you on the journey that you're on today. So my journey and the transformational moments that put me on the journey. Well, I think that, you know, when I just reflect on that in the moment right now, there, there are probably two things that had the biggest impact on me. One was when my brother took his life by suicide when I was in high school. And that had such a big impact on our entire family that for those people who've gone through that type of experience, I know you, you know, know what I'm talking about. And I can imagine people who haven't been through it can imagine. It just is such a devastating experience to know that there was someone in your life who was going through something for whom this, I call it, I call it, you know, it's kind of like people die by cancer and people die by suicide as well. So, you know, I put it in that framework, but having grown to the point where I am now, I know that framework, but I can say when I was in high school that certainly nobody in my family held that framework. And so there was such a huge amount of growth that happened for me as an individual to have the perspective around that chapter in my story. So, you know, my, my, I would say my journey now in terms of helping parents support children is very much informed by that loss. And that if I hadn't gone through that experience, I'm not sure I'd be doing what I do now. So, you know, it definitely crafted me and my deep desire to be sure that we show up in families as adults and parents in ways that understand our children and undoubtedly that compassion that I have, that understanding that I have came from my life experience for sure. And I'm sure that that was a very impactful experience and something that you forever carry with you. And it's good that you're, you were able to use that as you grew older and as you started in your own parenting journey and your own life experience, how you're able to see that experience because suicide is really something that no one can prepare for. There's really no way to know that this could happen. I mean, we hear it about it all the time where people say, oh, well, they were the happiest person. They were this, they were that, but you never know what someone is kind of battling with on the inside. That's right. You really don't. You don't know what's going on on the inside. And a lot of what I talk about in my program is as moms and dads, how we see behavior. And so oftentimes, you know, what I call the tragic expression of the unmet need, expressions of unmet needs can look very sloppy, socially unacceptable, and can be difficult to be around. But if we focus on our experience of that behavior, then it's all about me and my experience of that behavior. But really, if we look at that behavior as being a reflection of someone else's internal experience within themselves, it shifts the lens completely. 
it, you know, I mean, some people call talk about like trauma informed perspectives, and this is very much a trauma informed perspective. Not that I knew the language for that long ago, but I know it now. It's the ability to see people's behavior as reflecting distress, as reflecting, you know, an unsettledness within themselves. And not to focus so much on my experience of being around somebody who's experiencing life in that way, because of course I'm going to have an experience of it. And my experience of it is, is, you know, really all about me. But as long as I don't make it about me and I let it be about them, then I might be able to ping into that moment of humanity, that moment of connection, to see past the presentation, to see beyond the symptoms, to go to that underlying unmet need and to connect there. And that's where transformation happens. That is so true. And that part where you pointed out about taking it off of what you see and kind of, or taking it off of you and looking at the person and their experience. I do a lot of work in my nine to five with trauma-informed care because I work with domestic violence victims and in the law enforcement. So we're always educating them on the trauma-informed perspective and just putting it in the lens of, and the way you said it, that unmet need, that expression. So it's not like, okay, when you're encountering this situation, you're encountering this person, you kind of have to take into account, this is what they're giving you. But think about everything they experienced before they encounter you, what their tapes are playing in their head and things like that. So I like how you pointed out how it's taking the focus off of you as the person. And then as the child that you're encountering, if you're the parent, the child you're encountering, looking at what is this telling me about them and what their experience is in this situation? Absolutely. That one shift in perspective makes it not about you at all. I mean, it actually has nothing to do with you. <laughs> this is a person who's triggered and he doesn't have the skills to manage their internal environment. And so when you're encountering someone who's triggered, triggered people are manipulative and they're abusive and they're goal-oriented and they are out of control. They're emotionally out of control. They're even out of their minds sometimes. So you can say they're dysregulated. And so that dysregulated child, that dysregulated adult who's actually acting like a child, they're regressed, right? You and I both know that. And they're in their child self. They can be in a great big body and they can also be, you know, acting in ways that may be harmful to you. And so there is that aspect of really being intelligent about do I want to pour gasoline on the fire? and make this thing go like, you know, now we're burning the whole house down, or do we want to contain the fire to the fireplace and recognize that there are things that will be the responses that actually dissipate it, and there are ways to respond that actually inflame it. And so those skills are so important when you're dealing with, in your case, domestic violence, for sure, but I mean, I deal with so many different parents who are going through so many different situations. And, you know, there's a lot of violence in families before it gets to the level that you encounter, where there's still a lot of trauma and PTSD. And there's a lot of, I would say, nervous systems that are fried because people have been exposed to other people who are really out of control. And, you know, that something that's happening inside of them, they're not able to be with that something. They've become merged with it. So one of the things I talk about in my trainings is getting bigger than what's bugging you. So that's really supporting people to be centered 
with a strong sense of self that is not about what other people outside of you are doing or saying. And when something happens and you begin to feel something internally, the capacity to be with that thing, whatever it may be, to have that sense of, yeah, I'm noticing there's something in me that's really upset and I'm going to be with that part of me rather than I am going to become that part of me. And now I'm going to give it the steering wheel to my life and it's going to guide my behaviors, my actions and how I'm being. And that distinction is massive. It definitely is because in those situations, when you have those triggers and those things like that, it is so easy to let that thing, as we call it, to take over. And it does really take a lot of centering, a lot of self-regulation, self-awareness so that you can recognize the triggers that are around you, recognize how your body starts to respond. And I like how you said being bigger than what's bugging you, because I feel once people can kind of get to that point, then they kind of take back that power over their life and over that situation so that it's not having the rule of their entire life. And to me, that is such an empowering place to be and such such an important topic to kind of teach on and speak on. I love it. It's exactly it. I mean, and this is, you know, I, with the parent community that I focus on, what I find is a lot of parents don't have the capacity to hold the space for their children. They don't actually have the bandwidth internally to allow their children to fall apart without taking it personally, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, that they do, I mean, it's the classic, they really do need to put the oxygen mask on themselves first <laughs> because they they have to. There has to be that self-compassion, that self-love, that self-care without guilt, without feeling like they're dropping the ball, recognizing how important it is for them to take care of themselves so that they model self-care is valuable to their children and that they recognize that if they aren't creating the bandwidth and the self-care within themselves, that they're not going to show up in the way that they want to. And that's also part of that like tie back is that we all know, we all know how we feel. You know, if we're feeling rested and we've just had a really stress-free day, something not in, you know, ideal can come into our field and it's like, eh, you know, we just like brush it off. Not a big deal. But when we're all wound up, our response changes radically. And then we are the ones who are out of control. We're the ones who need love, compassion, and understanding. And it really is all about us. <laughs> That's true. If you are enjoying this show, feeling inspired and motivated, learning something new, or just want to show some love, please do me a favor and help me spread the word. Screenshot this episode and share your favorite takeaways in your Instagram stories. I am truly growing my Instagram and I want you there on the journey with me as we continue to grow and build. Don't forget to tag me at Lawan Moses so that I can share your share. Each time you share this show, it helps me to reach more and more moms just like you. Don't keep this greatness to yourself. Tell a mama you know about the More Than a Mother podcast today. Remember, motherhood is a universal experience and we are all in this together. You hit the nail on the head with the whole capacity thing because I feel that a lot of parents, a lot of mothers these days, there's so much on everyone's plate. We are carrying so many loads that the capacity is really filling up. 
And then when our children, when things go off plan as quote unquote plan, and our children have these meltdowns, these different things happen, a lot of parents don't have those skills to kind of recognize, okay, this is a situation that's happening. I need to take a step back and kind of evaluate the situation. Instead, a lot of us are reactive and that's just how people are. We are so quick to react, even as adults, even as parents, we see a child with a certain behavior, maybe acting out in a certain way. And our, a lot of people's response is, okay, they're going to meet anger with anger or whatever it is, instead of kind of really processing what is happening in this moment, why are they feeling this anger, having the skills to recognize, okay, this may be based off a past incident, they're being triggered by something. But a lot of parents, there's no manual. If you're not educated on this stuff, if you don't have someone like us sitting here talking about it, a lot of parents don't have those skills and those tools to kind of really have a grounding space to start thinking that way, even just a little bit. I completely agree. In fact, I talk about it all the time is that, you know, a friend of mine said to me when she had her baby, she said, oh my God, they let me walk out of the hospital with it. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. But you're absolutely right. Like, what were they thinking? You know, aren't you going to put me into some training? You know, I have to take a test to learn how to drive a car. I have to pass an exam to be a contractor. I mean, there are certain things that we have to do to demonstrate our competency. And yet with parenting, nobody helps us. We're just completely left on our own. Like somehow that was a good idea. <laughs> right. You're responsible for a whole human life. You have the baby and here, take it home. That's yeah, all. Like I know anything about how to support a child learning resilience. I don't know how to do that. So I believe that that is actually one of our great flaws in society is that we don't have this more pastoral care perspective around supporting moms and dads with how to support their children to learn an internal locus of causality. And what do I mean by that? For the layman, it, what it really means is that for a child to feel like they are actually capable of regulating their own emotions, that they are the source of their own happiness, that they are the source of creating a difference in relationship to other people. I work with families a lot, and I actually was on a call this morning, and my client said, you know... I want my son to join us. He's like, I think he's about, I think he's about eight or nine, maybe. Yeah, something like that. And uh, there are three kids and there's dynamics between each of them. And he was saying about his older sister, you know, I feel like I said, what do you think your relationship is on a scale of one to 10, one being not so good, 10 being fabulous. He says, we're like a two or a three. I said, okay. And I said, where would you like it to be? He's like, well, an eight. And I said, okay. And, you know, just for curiosity's sake, I, well, why not a 10? And he said, well, if we're a 10, then my relationship with my other sister is probably going to be not so good. I was like, oh, okay. Very perceptive. So he even began to understand that his dynamic with this sister was going to change his dynamic with this sister. And if he got this one better, then this one would get worse. And he had that framework in his head. So we started just working with that today. Like, let's imagine a world where everybody could feel like they belonged in your circle and that belongingness with one child, you know, this other sister wasn't going to make this other one feel like they were less important to you. And just starting to open up his own sense of being able to create that and be the leader 
and making it his responsibility. Like it's nobody out there who's going to create this magic for you. You can create this magic for you. So just giving that sort of coaching to a young child to begin to feel like, yeah, really, I am the source of my experience. I can't just say, well, no, so-and-so did this to me. It's their fault. Because that usually is what I hear parents telling me is going on is, well, no, you know, you didn't see what he did to me. And, you know, you'd understand why I did this back to him because look what he did to me. There's no sense of accountability that I don't care what he did to you. You don't get to just blame him for your irrational behavior, even though I understand there needs to be some intervention. And I agree with that as a parent with a preteen and a teenager, my two girls, my son is older, but with those two, I can definitely relate to that. Oh, but look what she did. What and she look did. What, yeah. And I am big on that. And I'm blessed to have been in the field that I'm in that I'm able to have those skills and say, okay, no, it's about taking accountability. So you control your own reactions, you control your own emotions. So yes, people are going to do things, but you are in control of how you react to that, how you respond to that. And I feel that when we pour into that as children, then that transfers into as we grow into adults. Because I feel a lot of adults, a lot of parents perhaps didn't get that. So we see a lot of people that are blaming as adults, somebody else made me do this and it's someone else's fault. But the more and more conversations like the one you and I are having, the more that people hear about conscious parenting revolution and things like that, the more education will be out there to provide that education that, like we said, is not given when they hand over this human and say, hey, you're responsible for making this human into a productive adult. I think the more people hear those kind of things, they'll feel better equipped to handle those situations and start to make those little steps to kind of change the narrative in their homes. Beautifully said. I was on a call today with a couple of different parents who, you know, I was actually speaking to the moms and they're they're really in an interesting situation because they can see their partners are triggered. And so they're watching the dynamics now between not really a child and a child, but their partner who may or may not be the the dad, might be a stepdad or, you know, might just be a partner now and the relationship with their child and this person and the the kind of headbutting that goes on and how to be with that as well. And again, we're back to the manual, like who teaches anyone to be a mediator? Nobody has like just these magic skills that that they know how to do that. I mean, I went through training to be a mediator. So it's no different for any adult in a family relationship to be with, whether it's the husband and the child or the grandpa and the child, to be able to be with them in a way where you feel like the neutral ground. And neither one of them feels like you're taking somebody's side. Because the minute somebody feels like you're, you know, oh, well, you always take their side, then you begin to feel that resentment flow building up. And the other person begins to feel like, just like that triangle I was telling you about earlier, like this one, you know, is going to feel like they don't matter as much if I even say anything positive to this one. So how do I be the neutral ground to be able to identify and understand what each person's perspective is? So taking another person's perspective is such an advanced skill. It seems so obvious, but yet there are so many people that I encounter who don't realize there's a perspective other than their own. 
That's true. <laughs> that is certainly true. But it's Young only one old. perspective. It's only one idea. It's like, okay, that's one perspective, but there's 50 people in the room. So let's get the other 49 because there will be other people's perspectives. And just because it's yours doesn't mean it's right. It's just one of the narratives. So what are the other narratives? And when you just become curious about the narratives, then it's like, oh, that's interesting. I can see, oh, that's interesting. Rather than it being something you have to defend yourself against. Right. And that is, that's important. And like you said, it's an advanced skill and a skill that is not regularly taught that people don't regularly know. And I think that's what makes it difficult because even being that mediator in the home, that can be stressful as well because even you may feel like you are doing a good job in doing the mediation, but that, just have, that itself also is a taught skill. You may feel like you're doing a good job in feeling and doing that mediation, but yet you still may have one child over here who's like, oh, you always take his side and the other child over here, oh, you never listen to me. And then the parent is feeling like they are just kind of stuck in the middle and when they're really just kind of doing their best to diffuse the situation and address the situation, but they may feel like what they're doing is not working. Absolutely. I love that. And, and, you know, again, it's like, I, I love to say, you know, no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame, no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame, because I find people begin to feel like it's my fault. I should have known better, right? We start the whole should lifts. And, you know, oh my God, I, I'm, you know, I'm the one I'm to blame. I did it. It was my mistake. I mean, that whole storm is so not helpful. Not to mention it being helpful or not, it's, it's, I just don't think it's accurate because I don't know. I don't know what you think. I'd be curious, but you know, I do think that whenever we're using whatever approach we are taking to a situation, we're doing it from the place of thinking it's, it's going to make a big change. It's going to help. Things are going to be better. We don't go into it thinking this is a bad idea. I'll do it anyway. You know? <laughs> We go into it with the best of intentions. And obviously the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we all know that. And that, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. These are two of my favorites. No good deed goes unpunished. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we get these outcomes that we never anticipated because we couldn't see it. And that's that doesn't mean that, you know, it was anything other than life is in session. And when life is in session, we show up. We do whatever we have the bandwidth to do and whatever we have the skills to do. And down the road, we may look back with new skills and go, wow, I wish I'd known this then. Because if I'd known this then, I would have done it differently. And here's the reality. I knew what I knew then. And so that's why I used what I did. And now down the road, I'm so thankful that I have better, I've been upgraded. I have an upgraded model. I'm an upgraded model. I got to be an upgraded model. And so I have a different response. And when that frame, you know, informs your thinking, it really is about, uh, yeah, I wish I just knew everything I know now 20 years ago. Yes, that to say hindsight is 2020. I mean, I definitely 2020. I definitely agree with everything you just said there. And as you said, parent you parents listening, you go in with the best intentions and everyone knows that you're doing the best you have with the skills that you have at the moment. And I think that's something that's important to stress that as you go through situations, life is gonna happen. We do what we can in that moment, what we know to do. 
But that, I like how you point out that you can't control the outcome. And I think a lot of people are, are focused on the outcome and wanting to have control over the outcome, that that's where that guilt and blame and things come in because you went in thinking everything would go out one, one way, as you said, but then the outcome looks different. And then that's when you start to beat yourself up and feel that guilt. And you really negate all the hard work or the progress you may have made in that moment just because it didn't look like or pan out how you thought it should. Exactly. Brush is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra dental bristles, the Brush redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist, a fresh whole mouth clean every single day. My listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. One of the things that I, I know, you know, I talk a lot about is the three R's that are generated by a controlling form of discipline. And so, you know, for the audience, it's retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. And retaliation, rebellion, and resistance are activated by a controlling form of discipline. So a lot of parents use a power over approach when they encounter the bad behaviors. You know, I'm going to do, you know, air quotes around bad behaviors because the bad behaviors, of course, if you shift the lens a little bit, as we were speaking to earlier, are behaviors that are a reflection of a child's unmet needs or an adult's unmet needs, right? Any of those flags, signals, cues and clues, they are showing us what's going on inside of someone. And it also reveals that that someone doesn't have the skills to be able to manage their internal world. So the inside outside, you know, kind of like the movie, they, the internal and the external are inextricably linked unless somebody has learned to mask it and they can have a real big storm going on inside, but they've learned to put on one face and they never show anything. They've got this one mask and they wear that mask no matter what. And so if you've grown up in a family that has been so focused on you have to look a certain way, what will the neighbors think? Then those are the kids that learn how to put on a face for the world. And they always look the same no matter what's going on inside. And I don't know what you think, but I am always concerned about those kids. Because even the ones who fall apart, at least it's honest. It's transparent. It, of course, needs support, but we know they need support because we can see it. When you get the kids that have learned to cope and they've put that cope on, then it's really hard to pick up on the fact that they're not doing well because they don't reveal what's actually going on inside. I would rather deal with somebody who's having a falling apart situation where I recognize I'm, it's crystal clear. They don't have the skills. Great. Cause I know how to teach skills. So we'll teach them how to manage their inner world. But with a child who doesn't know how to manage their inner world and they have the face, there's all kinds of things that are going on inside of them that really worry me. And it may be that it will eventually, you know, get to the point where there is self-harm or it could be harm to others because they're not necessarily showing us. And so that to me is really dangerous. And so it kind of goes back to this idea that, you know, it's not so much about getting the right behaviors. 
It's about getting the skills inside so that the most natural thing that appears are the behaviors that reveal that this is someone who's everything's good with them. They're meeting their needs. And it's a genuine, authentic reflection of their inner world just being in order. I agree with that completely. Also, like with referencing what you were saying about the people that are wearing the mask and all, I am with you 100% because to me, when I'm met with the behavior that is outright external, I can see it. Then like you said, it gives you that ground to work with. But when you have that person, that child, or that grows into an adult that still wears that mask, it's like, you don't know what's happening on the inside. You don't know what to address. You don't know where to begin the conversation. And like you said, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a scary place to be because you never know if there could be some self-harm or harm to others. So I am with you on that whole idea of taking some of that pressure off and having that kind of open communications, building those skills so that we're putting into children as they are growing up, like these are the skills, this is how we communicate, this is how we do certain things so that we can start to teach them at a young age so that as they grow, it is perhaps that they learn those healthy coping skills in dealing with things. And it all goes back to being taught. And so many people that are now adults, perhaps, and parents that you may encounter were never taught that. So then they don't have that to teach to their kids. And then we that's when we see that generation kind of thing happen where we have generations of people that are just repeating these same patterns. Bingo. That's exactly it. It's that transgenerational trauma that just gets passed down through the ages. And, you know, I have done a few TED Talks and one of the TED Talks I talk about is, you know, surviving unconscious parenting. And surviving unconscious parenting is when really as the child, the undifferentiated consciousness, there is no other, there is no sense of where do I stop and where do you begin and, you know, what's you and what's me, right? That's something that emerges but for a lot of families, that process of the separating and the individuating is perceived as somehow disrespect or it's perceived as somehow a threat. And so it's not allowed. And, you know, I think because it starts to show up that the mother, let's say, for example, the primary caregiver is often the mom, but not always, but it's that the primary caregiver if they didn't receive that reflection, if they didn't receive the nourishment, if they didn't get the, the caregiver in their life who could let them separate and have their own experience, they could have their own experience of feeling what they were feeling in the moment without it somehow rocking the boat. The child then learns either, I don't rock the boat and upset mommy. Okay, I'm not going to do that. So then they just deny their inner world completely and they become disconnected from themselves, and they can't find their sense of yes or no inside anymore. All they know is, my job is to look at what other people are experiencing and be sure that they're not upset. And all of the emphasis is keeping the external world okay, because the external world is volatile. And if they show or start to show their, nah, I don't really want to do that, then that's seen as a trigger. And that caretaker tries to be sure that that doesn't happen again. And they use rewards and punishments a lot of the time or, you know, death by lecture or whatever it may be in order to teach that younger child 
not to do that. The only thing you get to do is be obedient and compliant. But obedience and compliance is dangerous because a child can't learn to differentiate around who has their best interests and who doesn't. They simply respond to power as something that they they acquiesce to. And that acquiescing to it doesn't mean the person with the power is necessarily taking their best interest into consideration. So they lose sight of that very, very important ability to say no. No, you can't do that to me. No, that's not in my best interest. No to the bully. No to the abuser. No to someone just because that person is throwing a major tantrum, you can't control me and make me do what you want. And that to me is such an important skill that we teach our children. And it means that we can't use power and control and we can't use rewards and punishments. We have to use a different modality so that children are cooperating with us out of consideration, but not out of fear and dependency. And that's like the cornerstone of the conscious parenting revolution is that we give our children the ability to set them free, set them free to have their no, set them free to have themselves and that it not be perceived as disobedience. And that what we learn to do is create the atmospheres where there can be a sense of consideration of one another coming from a completely different aspect than obedience and compliance. That's powerful. And just hearing it broken down that way to me just kind of started firing off so many different light bulbs in my own head. And just thinking about the moms that I work with and the moms that I encounter, because one common theme is that moms, women, we have a problem with saying, a lot of people have a problem with saying no. And to hear you talk about that, I immediately was triggered to think and the light bulb went off that when you're raised as a child, as you just said, in that unconscious parenting way, then there's that obedience and compliance. So that option to say no is taken away. So it really is, then it transfers to adulthood. And it was like, wow, that all of that just clicked for me. Like that is where a lot of it comes from. And just to hear you break it down, that there's a difference with the obedience and compliance and then the consideration. And that consideration is really the ultimate goal for what I'm hearing you saying when we're parenting. That is really like the ultimate goal of parenting is to do the consideration piece of it and not the obedience compliance part. You got it. Bingo. I would actually say, go watch my TED talk on surviving unconscious parenting, where I just, you know, unpack this whole thing and really go into what it was like for me to be cathected. And I don't know if you've heard that before, this idea of being cathected, but Alice Miller talks about this in one of her books called The Drama of the Gifted Child. And what she meant about a child being gifted is that ability for the child to be able to survive unconscious parenting, a child to be able to survive the parent that cathects them and that the human condition is adaptable. And so for me, being cathected as a child meant that I did have that relationship where there was the, the mother figure who needed that obedience and compliance, who needed her inner world to be reflected back to her, rather than being able to reflect back to the child what was going on for the child. So there wasn't that atmosphere where it was safe to separate, individuate. My mother was, I was 50 years old when my mother was dying. And I realized at that stage, oh my God, I never separated and individuated. 
To this day, I still feel responsible for my mother's feeling realm, as if I could ever be responsible for how another human being feels. It's it's not it's not an option. <laughs> not at all. It's not possible. But yet, I would say that you know this idea that we are has been running amok from generation to generation. And the idea that we blame other people for how we feel as if they caused it is so common that most people don't even question it. And that is one of the spells that was cast. And when that spell was cast and we fell asleep, we went into this malaise of this incredibly codependent society where we worked on a dysfunctional level. And, and, and it, it's all under the, I call it under the veil. It's not like anybody's consciously, you know, aware of this spell that was cast. We become conscious. Something finally pops us out and we begin to have that sense of being bigger than this pattern and going beyond the pattern. And, you know, that's when I think we come into ourselves. I definitely agree with that. Just the whole way that you broke it down and be having that ability to come into yourself. Like you say, you have to be able to differentiate. And that is such an important skill that has to grow. And like I said, I can't even touch that with because the way you broke it down was so perfectly. But I'm definitely going to link to your TED Talk in the show notes so that people can find it because I know that I'm going to go listen to it because I feel it'll be beneficial just from the little bit that you said and have me thinking in a different way. And I would hope that some of the other listeners will go and listen to it also. Do you want immediate access to new episodes, products, events, and freebies? Join the More Than a Mother community today. Head on over to lawanmoses.com. That's www.lawanmoses.com and join my community today. So if you could give just like one tip to someone that is in this parenting, whatever you want to call it, in this situation, they may be feeling overwhelmed, they're trying to mediate, and they want to take that first step perhaps to effective communications, they can start to kind of make a little bit of change in their life. Is there like one tip or one starting point that you could give to someone? Okay. I don't know if it's going to be one tip. Or it does have to be one. I'm going to give you a little bit of a prescription, right? We're going to call this the prescription to help parents get the oxygen mask on so that the dynamics can shift. I like that. So, you know, yeah, let's, I mean, the first thing is moms, dads, moms, dads, moms, dads. So let's stick with the moms for the moment because we're kind of focused on moms here is, yeah, that ability for you to take care of you and have more bandwidth will have the greatest impact on how the rest of your day goes and how your conversations go. So I know everybody thinks I don't have time to take care of me. It has to be your priority. You have to take care of you. You have to model self-love. You have to model self-care. You have to model it so that the children that watch you see how much and how important it is for them to love themselves. So, you know, with that in mind, you can actually start to be like a guilt-free you know, person who actually recognizes if I don't show my kids the way to self-love and self-care, they won't know how. So be the model for that and really literally have a practice. I don't know what your practice is. I meditate. Other people do other things. I have a breathing practice, 
But we can't stay centered in this crazy, hectic world that we live in with the demands and our jobs and all the stuff that we do, our children and everybody who has, you know, like pulls on us if we don't have something. Some people take a walk, right? Some people call a friend. Some people read a passage in a book. Some people meditate. Some people have breathing exercises. But find what's right for you and just make it a practice so that you, you really take care of yourself. And then what I would say is when you see your children acting up, see them beautiful. So see your children beautiful so that you can see past those presenting problems because the presenting problems, if we pause there, <laughs> yes, we can pause. We, we don't see them beautiful. We have to see them beautiful and like it's inside of you that this is like, write it down, you know, see my children beautiful. So that when they're doing all of the behaviors that I call the presenting problems, you don't see those as the problem. You see what's the problem behind the problem. So what's the problem behind the problem keeps you focused on the underlying unmet need that's giving rise to these behaviors. So take care of yourself, increase your bandwidth, see your children beautiful, look beyond the presenting problem. And recognize that your children need you the most and your compassion the most when they appear to deserve it the least. And if you know that in your soul, then you will be able to take that step back and respond to them, not at the surface of how they're presenting with, you know, how dare you and go to your room and that's so disrespectful and nobody speaks to me that way. None of that stuff. Because what we really want is we want them to change and not do that anymore. And the number one fastest, easiest way for you to do that is to see past it down underneath into their feelings and recognize the unmet need and start to work at the level of feelings and needs, but not you make me feel victim blame consciousness, but realize that if you get to that point, whatever that point was, when that is addressed, all this other stuff goes away anyway. So don't waste your time over there. And of course, you can't reward and punish because it activates retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. We have to learn how to guide our children so that their behaviors are coming from the choice within to be considerate because they understand what's going on for you, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of having learned what does it mean to be considerate of another human being. And I want to be considerate because I care about being considerate because I care about you. And if you get behavioral changes on that basis, then you're not going to have to pay for them with candy or, you know, all these other things. You're not buying behaviors anymore. They're actually coming from within. That's powerful. That is a powerful prescription, a powerful formula. And I love how you broke it down. And I am big on self-care. So I personally love how self-care was that top one that you threw out there. I love that prescription prescription. And I will say, I have learned so much from you and has put some dots together for me. And I just thank you so much for joining me today. If you could so please fabulous. just, oh yes, it has. If you could please just tell everyone where they can connect with you online. If you have any offers or anything that you want to let us know about, please feel free to share that at this time. Thank you so much. So I have actually got an ebook, which I would recommend everybody go download on seven strategies to keep your relationship with your kids from hitting the boiling point. And so, you know, it's, it just, it's a little tiny, you know, I don't know, 40 page long, 50 page long, just a recipe with some great strategies 
to support everyone. And so you can go to my website, which is consciousparentingrevolution.com. Or you can go to Catherine Celery, S-E-L-L-E-R-Y.com. And in both cases, if you go to CatherineCelery.com or the Conscious Parenting Revolution, you'll be able to find all my TED Talks. So I've got three TED Talks. And the one that I was really referring to today was the one on surviving unconscious parenting and really transcending your family of origin dysfunction and finding your no so that you recognize how important it is for your children to stay connected to their no. And the last thing you want to do is get them to say yes to you when they mean no. What you want to do is understand when they say no to you, they're saying yes to something inside of themselves. That is good. That is really good. And we are going to leave it on that note. I will be sure to link to that in the show notes so that everyone can easily find it. I thank you, Catherine, for joining me. This was such a dynamic to me conversation. And I feel that a lot of you talked to you all day. Yes, that's how I felt. So and I looked up and I was like, oh, right. (laughs) I know. Don't we live closer? Yes. I love it. Phenomenal conversation. I had a great time. And I thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave a review, and most importantly, share this episode with all of your mom friends. Let's continue to grow our mom community and support each other. Remember, together, we've got this.